everyone, and welcome to Televisions, the podcast, an audio companion to the Televisions website, and a show made by Anglophiles for Anglophiles. I am Lacey Barger-Milas, and I'm the editor here at Televisions, and joining me, as always, is my uh, co-host and partner in crime, Miss Sandy Bundle. Hello. Hello. How are you today? I feel like I could have jazzed up that spiel some, but I'm just like really tired. Mm. I don't know. I, I read some study like a couple of years ago about how January is the most like depressing month of the year like people are more depressed and i it's it's Mm -hmm. so true blue monday is like the the center monday of the halfway point of uh january um the the official blue monday in the uk i mean i'm ordering covid tests i'm ordering upgraded masks this january feels a lot like last january like last january and i started to say the january before that but i'm like no i was happy the january before that <laughs> um i did things in one places and now i have a box of covid tests sitting next to me so what a world uh i don't know so what are we talking about today we are um not yellow jackets no f- i know i wish we could talk about yellow jackets because there's not even like one british person on that show so we can't even like kind of fake it but it's so good um it, we're if, gonna talk if it about comes to streaming everybody should watch it the end i think uh i think this is the first time we're gonna talk about shakespeare on yes the pod. actually um which feels a little weird like on as year three of televisions the podcast is upon us and it's like hey let's talk about bill and some of his stuff but uh a a24 who is a studio that's i think largely known for their horror films and they were behind the recent The Green Knight adaptation, and they have a very particular style and sort of vibe to them. Yeah, they're very indie. Uh, they, they're kind of the indie uh, studio of the moment, other than focus and, and they have released, it uh, just landed, it actually hit theaters in December. And by theaters, I mean like two theaters, because <laughs> I think they wanted it eligible for award season. But it's on Apple TV Plus as of this past weekend, and it is called The Tragedy of Macbeth. Or the tragedy of the Scottish play, depending on how willing you are to say the M word. Well, listen, we are not in a... Th- okay, as a person with a theater degree, we are not in a theater. I am in my office. You are on your bedroom floor. We are free to say the word Macbeth all we want to. I also... I mean, not to be like... I mean, I feel like having a lot of people said Macbeth in the past few years to get us to where we are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I feel like saying a few Macbeths really isn't going to, like, move the needle not, at this point. Yeah, no. But, but uh, this this version is uh, from only a single Cohen brother. It's from Joel, without Ethan. Uh, he's the director, and it stars Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand. Two Americans, a- we should point out. And a bunch of other people that I didn't realize were even in it until I sort of read the cast listing at the end because it's shot in black and white, which is oh, which I'm sure we'll talk quite a great deal about because it's really it's it's like hauntingly striking. But it does for me have a little bit of a tendency to kind of smooth out everybody that isn't a Macbeth. <laughs> and I was like, oh, Brendan Gleeson, who was Duncan, apparently. <laughs> yeah, no, actually. Um, um, so when I went and saw this at one of the press screenings, um, I had an extra ticket and I, uh, I took my mom, and um, we, uh, we, she couldn't figure out who Brendan. She, she sat there the entire time trying to figure out who Duncan was. Uh, you know, just, just who is, it? who is that? Um, uh, I also, the one I didn't recognize, Bertie Carvel. 
Um, be- partly oh, because I know. and that's because th- that I blame on the facial hair. Okay, because like when when men grow beards or shave off beards, they suddenly don't look right anymore. Like you have to have one or the other. Like I swear to God, if my husband ever shaved, I would be like, "Who are you and why are you in my house?" Like my dad <laughs> once went to the barber and like had his beard shaved almost down to like the bottom, and like my mother told him he looked like a shorn sheep, and I he like didn't look like my dad. It was really weird. Um, so yeah, I, the one I did recognize though harry melling um who plays Wait, who is he uh malcolm the, oh. the, the kid. i thought i was like he looks so familiar and i can't figure out why. yeah he looks <laughs> familiar because he's a harry potter kid like it's a lot of it's a lot of uh hey it's that guys in this movie like i i really do have to say like seeing him especially because like there's been a whole lot of like potter flurry recently really brought home like how successful everybody in that cast really has been also, it just makes me feel really old i'm sorry I, it, like, it, yeah i can see that but at the same time i'm just like like wow like, like neville it, longbottom got really hot it's really weird um, like no i just you know like if you actually think of like the harry potter like movies as sort of like an experiment in how to raise child actors into a adult actors it's like hitting a thousand like here we are with like you know the kid who was like the other kid that you didn't even really pay all that much attention to because he was a bad guy and here he is like starring in shakespeare like what yeah anyway and shakespeare is for everyone people um it is i guess for those of you if you i mean you guys we all went to school you know Macbeth. i mean Macbeth is one of okay because Macbeth is so short it is actually one of the most done plays in school and this is actually i i I looked it up afterward because I felt it when I was watching. This is a very short adaptation mm-hmm. of Macbeth. They've really like pared it down. Yeah, they cut a lot. It's, it clocks in at, at maybe like 125 minutes or something. Like it's really, or maybe it's like 135, but it's really short. Yeah. Like I think the original is somewhere on, on the order of two hours, on the order of like two and a half hours. And this one like barely comes in at two. And I feel like people don't actually think about that that much when they go to see Shakespeare, like how much Shakespeare is, is usually edited here. My favorite fun fact is that if you've seen Hamlet recently, you've maybe seen half of Hamlet. And the actual Hamlet as as written, if performed as written, is four hours long. The longest Hamlet I ever saw, I think, was the one with four Hamlets that they did um, at the Folger. Like, I guess this was like, God, this was decades ago. Um. (laughs) I saw Benedict Cumberbatch do Hamlet in London, and it was really uh, an interesting staging, but they did edit it some, for which I was grateful. I mean, I just, I love Shakespeare, but four hours is a long time. It is. Four hours is Gone with the Wind. Yeah. Like, it's a long time. Four hours requires at least two intermissions. I mean, it just does. I did see uh, Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet was four hours. They did the full thing and released it in the theater, and they put intermissions in, just like Gone with the Wind or movies from the olden days. It was kind of wild. Anyway, back to Macbeth. This is a very pared-down Macbeth. Like, all the speeches you know are in it. And they're all right next to each other. (laughs) Like, because it's so pared down. Yeah, because all the stuff in the middle they took out. Right? Like, I was just like, <laughs> I, there, there was a, I forget which speech we hit. I think it was tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow when they hit that. I was like, damn, I forgot that all of these are so close to, no, they're not. No, they're not. This is this is just, okay. And that was actually when I kind of like peeked out my phone a little just to see what time it was. Um, Because I was like, yeah, this is going by really fast. I mean, but at the but same I time, it, I think like, it works for it, though. Oh yeah. No, at the same time, it really does sort of drive home how much of Macbeth is famous by putting all the famous speeches back to back to back. 
Like you really do sort of like, like, I don't think you appreciate that, like our entire concept of witches that we grew up with was Shakespeare's, you know? Um, and also the text, I took a class in college called like the witch history, the history of witch witchcraft. Mm -hmm. And there's just a whole bunch of, I read the Malleus Maleficarum and all of these sort of like witch panic, witch finder documents. It's really fascinating. But, um, I will say I'm going to come back to the witches because I really that's a really interesting part of this movie. But I will say, like, as a whole, I really thought that the shorter runtime worked for this because it felt very propulsive. It felt very like, oh, everything is unraveling and it's happening very quickly. I think a lot of people tend to think that Shakespeare is boring because, like, people talk a lot and nothing happens. I don't think that. But I know that's what some how some people view, you know, old stuff like this. But this it felt very like. Once things got started, like there was an inevitability to it all that kind of kept pushing it forward. That I re- Macbeth is a favorite of mine. I think it is actually my favorite bit of Shakespeare. So I really, I really liked a lot of the interesting, like not. Um, this movie makes a lot of unconventional choices, and I'm into it. Um, I uh, um, speak. I know we'll talk about the witches in a minute, but one of the things about the the movie also for me was, um how violent it allowed itself to be. I was trying to think of the last time I saw something where they actually showed you Macbeth commit murder. I've never actually seen Macbeth murder Duncan. It's almost always off stage. Always. It's always, why did you bring the the daggers from this place is when you sort of realize how much blood there must be. And like actually seeing him stab Duncan on screen, it was sort of like a shock, like, Ugh. Like super close up too. They were like, let's just dial right into him putting that dagger in that man's neck. Right. But it also I, I felt like I, I felt like by doing that, it was sort of throwing it in your face, making sure you understood just how terrible this guy is and just how terrible an act these two are doing. I actually really thought and I thought this a bunch of times and I was like, oh, well, duh, that's in the text, but it's also because, like, when I think of A24, I think of horror movies. Like, this mm. really, to me, felt like a horror movie. Oh, yeah. In a way that they don't normally stage Macbeth. I've seen Macbeth uh, done in a billion different ways. There was a really interesting... I saw Patrick Stewart do Macbeth years ago, and he... It was a very, like... Um, some of you guys have probably seen it. They showed it on great performances, but it was a very, like, Macbeth as sort of, like, proto-Stalinist figure and mm-hmm. it got like it like people tend to go very like this is political symbolism or whatever rather than this is just like like a psychological horror story because that's at, at bare bones that's what it is yeah and and this is definitely the psychological horror story version of oh my um, God, this, I couldn't get over like I mean it's so I watch a lot of American horror story I'm telling you guys my interests are wide and eclectic but um, I could not get over how the cinematography and the sound effects and the staging and the set and everything just combined to have this intense feeling of like claustrophobia and dread. And there are all these um, like I thought the sound design was incredible, just random like door knocking and people, you know, people shouting in the distance, the crows that seemed to pop out of everywhere. Like the crows to me were like the witches, basically. Like I felt like that was supposed to represent the witches. Like a like a Greek chorus kind yeah. of thing. 
Um, I also, um, just the minimalism of the castle, like it mm-hmm. both felt very theatrical because, you know, theater just lets you use your imagination because hello budgets. Um, but also because like they're just, it, it, it felt so sparse and that way th- there was nothing else to look at. And like so thematically rich like i'm thinking specifically of the is this a dagger that i see before me scene and he is in a hallway and there's a levitating dagger at the end of the hallway and all the light coming through the windows in the hallways looks like daggers on the floor and when he gets to the dagger it melts into being the door handle to his room yeah and it's just like incredible to look at yeah the, the the visuals of this are extraordinary um i i found the whole i i this is one of those things I was really glad I saw in theaters. Like, I was really glad I saw this in the theater. Because um, it was, you know, it, it, even though, like, I don't always think that... There there are very few films that I think you should see in the theater, and I'll be honest about that. Like, other th- unless it's, like, a big Marvel blockbuster, most of these things can be watched on your television or watched on your laptop. Okay, people? Um, I'm sorry. It, they just can't. But this, because of the gorgeousness of the visuals and the stark black and white, like, having it on a huge screen in front of me was one of the few times where I really sort of appreciated that. Even with the things that were, you know, not... Like, I wasn't sure, like, the thing, one of the things that's always hardest in Macbeth is the, is the Burnham Wood part at the end. Um, Actually, I read an article. I really just, once I watched it, I wanted to read, like, uh, I wanted to read about, like, how they did it. And there was a piece uh, with one of the production designers, and I wish I'd written down their name because they deserve all the credit for this, where they had mirrored the castles at Inverness and Dunsinane to mm-hmm. sort of look like each other. And that was all part of like how the wood was involved or whatever. So, I mean, I've seen versions where it's like literally dudes with like branches tied to their arms. I, I thought the fact that they sort of looked like a snake walking through the forest was very, the, the way that they held the branches was really like striking. And it's one of those things that like, because I've never, I've never liked, I, I don't think I've ever seen a version of Macbeth where I like how they do Burnham wood. Um, the best versions are usually like, it's all off stage and you just don't see it. Well, um, I mean, cause if you think about it, it's, it's like a, such a dumb plan. Right. And the only reason the plan works is that it is literally like prophesied to <laughs> prophesied to work. Like let's tape some bushes onto ourselves. People, no one will see us coming. Right. Like, it's not like, it's not like the Ents in, 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 in the Lord of the Rings. Like this is, this is, it's, it's, it never looks good. And this is the closest I've ever seen to it looking good or working in any way for me, even though it was, and I think it probably because it was so stylized, actually. Um, Speaking of stylized, can we talk about Catherine Hunter and how freaking cool her witch was and the way they made her witch into three witches with her shadow? God, that was cool. Yeah, like one witch, three witches, crows, some kind of swamp monster thing. I don't know. It was really inventive and cool. Yeah. Hunter is like a, she. she's actually like, she's billed as a virtuoso physical performer. Like that's who, that, like this is a whole, her, her whole like thing about doing these sort of like uh, contortionist type stuff is part of her like is part of her shtick and part of like and she's done like a ton of Shakespeare stuff like she did Julie Taymor's Midsummer Night's Dream and some other stuff like that that like where, where uh, this Julie Taymor stuff is so weird have you <sighs> seen her Titus yes 
crazy. Um, so yeah, like, and, and when I realized that's who it was, I was like, oh gosh. Oh, but it's really cool though, and I was really expecting to because I'd seen like the promo still of her, and I mean, she also plays like an old man too. <laughs> she does like so much, and I was really like, oh, this is gonna be so lame because I thought it was gonna be like really. Um, like obviously performative do you know what i mean like mm-hmm. but it really really worked yeah. i loved the bit uh the the fair is foul and foul is fair when they're like crows in the rafters mm-hmm. and it just made so much more sense to me that that is how he would encounter them for the second time rather than like let me wander back out in the woods again because reasons yeah um the the whole shadows in like that so in that space of that of the castle with the with the rafters was just I loved all you know I I studied lighting in college and I just I loved everything about that scene and I loved, and even like yeah. the stuff that I was like ah oh, like the creepy baby faces in the cauldron <laughs> I was like this is really weird but also like didn't hate it like I thought it was all really weird like of a piece yeah. Um, and, you know, it's it's one of these things where, like, you know, when we think of the Coen brothers, like, I don't know about you, but I usually think of, like, things like the Hudsucker Proxy, or I think of that... Aren't they your brother or aren't they? Um, yes. Yes, they are. Yeah, that's, um, I think I, I get, like, a very... I have... And I don't even know if this is true or not, because I don't know how many of their movies I've actually seen. I get, like, a very folksy Americana vibe yes. from them, generally. Yes. And not Shakespeare? Yeah. I mean, like, I think, like, their big one was There Will Be Blood... Or or was it there will be blood? I don't think that does that movie does not feel like them. Okay, I'm, now I'm blanking. Um, Hold on, now I have to go look. Um, okay. Um, I was just I was thinking more of like, and, and I was like, wow, I sounded like a real snob saying that because I think one of the things that people forget the most, no is country that they think, for old men. They think, oh yeah, that's that feels more like them. But like people today, we we tend to look at culturally Shakespeare as this very sort of elitist highbrow thing for intellectuals and people who like to spend four hours watching Hamlet or whatever. But like back in the day, like Shakespeare was the Marvel cinematic universe of the time. Like that's what you did. You paid your penny. You went and you were a groundling and you went to the theater and it wasn't highbrow or elitist. It was just what people saw. It wasn't the thing on great performances. It was the thing on Disney plus. Fair. Um, not that I don't. Honestly, though, like great performances had some really great Shakespeare. I'm not gonna lie. Um, whereas like Disney said, Plus they showed that they showed the Patrick Stewart Macbeth that I saw, which was which was he was really great in it, and oh. that had a whole lot of blood. Um, they but, also great performances is was where the, is how they brought over the hollow crowns, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, they usually there's used to there. I I was looking on Passport earlier, and a lot of them aren't available right now. But there used to be like a. I think there was an Ian McKellen, Lear, and uh, it's a lot of the British actors. Most of the British of a certain generation, British actors you all know and like came up in RADA and came up in the Royal Shakespeare Company. So they all have done. I wish that I could see there is a Macbeth that I have not seen. And I don't know if it's available somewhere with Ian McKellen and Judy Dench. And um, there's a lot that are actually on Amazon Prime because um, I'm, I, you know, I went on a I went on a hunt for a. Uh, different i went on a hunt for uh for for shakespeare the hollow crown i think it was it's really hard to find the hollow crown you guys yeah um but no just like i actually i like if you just google shakespeare on like amazon prime video like there's a bunch of them there and i'm it's not just like I, the one i was thinking of when i went looking was there's a there's a king lear like mini series that stars anthony hopkins 
mm. um, that I went looking for. But then I like found like a ton of other stuff that I I sort of thought was on others that I thought was sort of on other streaming services, and for some reason is now all on Prime Video, and I'm not even really sure why or how they got there, other than like the you know, terribleness of Prime search functions, right? <laughs> like I know, but like like the Helen Mirren, uh, the Tempest was on there, and oh, like that one's so good, right? Like, and I was just like, right, oh, I this saw is Patrick here? Stewart do the Tempest a million years ago. I've, I apparently like go to see Patrick Stewart do Shakespeare. <laughs> um, Richard the Second, the 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 David Tennant Richard the Second is on there. Like, oh, I saw that when it was in Brooklyn. That was that was good. Except David Tennant's wig was terrible. Um, the 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 new Macbeth that has Al Weaver in it um is also on there um and and the and the Ian McKellen King Lear like there are just a bunch of them that are all like like it's not easy to find them and it's sort of like ragtag you kind of got to keep searching through the pages but it, it there's a ton of stuff of course they just want you to they want to give you Shakespeare of lo- in love because they think that that's what you want hey I like Shakespeare in love and of course you do. Judy Dench deserved that eight-minute Oscar. She did. Um, I mean, she deserved it for Mrs. Brown, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, what was I going to say? I was going to say, speaking of Macbeth, what did you think of Denzel? I actually really liked him. Um, I also, I, I loved the fact um, that, you know, most of the time, the only time you get, like, uh, you know, like, diverse casting in Shakespeare is when people do Othello. Um, and I mean, that's just it, it because our society, um, though I've I seen was... a lot of, of color. Wait, let me make sure I get this correct. Color blind casting, not color conscious casting. Yes. I think when you talk about Othello, that's color conscious casting. That's what I meant. Very yes. deliberately part of the story that Othello is a more. The only, the first Othello I ever saw was the one with Patrick Stewart at the Folger where <laughs> it's an all black cast except for him. Um, I have, um. I've seen, you know, men and women and people of color do, I've seen gender swap Shakespeare. I've seen diversity swap Shakespeare. I've seen like, it's, it's really, I think one of the, oddly enough, one of the few spaces I think where people don't blink at that because it's theater. Um, I think that's not the same thing as color conscious casting. It's really hard to do that in a lot of Shakespeare's works because they don't, you know, they'll deal with the genealogy of kings, but not like what race the people <laughs> in right? the story are. And I, I really liked the fact that this felt like color conscious casting, not just because of Denzel, but also because of Corey Hawkins as Macduff and Moses was Ingram. was a really great Macduff, I thought, with very limited time. Yeah. And, um, you know, Moses Ingram is the um, I, I don't know if you recognized her. She's from the Queen's Gambit. Oh, I thought she looked familiar as well. I cannot yep. figure out why. And like, I, 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 I don't, I don't know if I've ever seen her in anything else other than the Queen's Gambit. But she was really great, right? Um, I know Macduff's wife only gets like that one scene, but she, she did it. Either mm-hmm. speaking of of just more like overt violence, I was like, wow, they just threw that child in the fire, right? Um, it's really like, I mean, Macbeth isn't Titus Andronicus, but it's pretty. You know, a lot of people get murdered. Mm-hmm. And most of it happens off stage. So actually seeing it on stage, you know, you expect that stuff from Hamlet. You don't really expect that stuff from Macbeth. Um, I also, you know, I just, I thought most of the cast was so outstanding. Like, even like the smaller stuff, um, like the, like Jefferson Mays as the doctor was little, like the guy who did the porter. Um, like, I I usually hate the porter. <laughs> 
I yeah, I sort of zone out through that. But. Um, I actually didn't mind him. This is how guys, this is how you know that this stuff was for the masses. That's why you have these random insert scenes of like grave diggers and porters and like dumb drunk people doing stuff. <laughs> oh, that's I think I think that's another reason why Macbeth gets done in schools a lot is because it's one of those that doesn't ha- have a lot of like singing or dancing or any of that like, kind. Like here of- are the fairies come here to perform or yeah. whatever. <laughs> right? Like, you know, he- he- here's bottom with it with with his with his donkey head. Like you don't get any of that here. Um but you do get you get weirdness but not that kind of weirdness. I I mean I'm glad that we think that's fine. That the I'm glad that we think that the fairies and the dancing and bottom with a donkey's head are too difficult but like multiple murders that's happy oh, fun times i mean seriously have you have you seen like american violent stuff yeah of course <laughs> this is right up our alley right and i think that's the other thing is that macbeth is so like it's one of those things that you can grasp really easily the same way you can grasp romeo and juliet really easily yeah like the themes are very the themes are are very clear They're, the story is very straightforward it's very uh, something that you can kind of uh, interpret through the lens of wherever you are when you watch it. And this was not, can I just say that one of the things about this that I also thought was really striking is the fact that it isn't politicized. Mm, yeah. Um, you know, because, you know, especially nowadays with everything being like about, you know, the presidency or Brexit or both. Well, and like I said, I've seen that I've, I've Patrick Stewart's was like, he was this weird Stalin esque figure right it's like that happens a lot it's the same like richard the second is surprise a fascist like, richard the third is surprise a fascist not richard the second richard i was actually going to say that the Ian mckellen richard the third only gets more more uh timely as time goes on i, I actually really lo- i actually really think that's a that's a really great version of that even though i am a richard the third apologist anyway back to denzel one of the things that i think is most interesting about his performance like i said i've seen a lot of Macbeths over the years and i really um feel like his is one of the most understated takes on the character that i've seen i've when i was talking about unexpected choices a lot of that is down to him i think and it's not a lot of times when you get capital a actors who do shakespeare they feel like you know halt stop it's a monologue i have to like turn it up rather than turn it down and i think whenever he was given the opportunity he did it quieter he did it less showy i can't get like the tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow speech is probably the most famous from this play it's one of the most famous bits of shakespeare that there is but i i've seen so many people do it as sort of just like a like a very forceful yelling like angry monologue about like basically the unfairness of everything blah 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 and i felt like this was like just so quiet and sad and like resigned and it was i it was a really interesting reading i thought my life choices have led me here and i have no one to blame but me right like also can i just also note that like i i was expecting them after all the other violence to actually show lady Macbeth go down the stairs and i was actually a little surprised they didn't uh, i was surprised i was honestly surprised they showed her body they don't usually do that. Yeah, well, usually it's just sort of assumed. Well, I sort I I wasn't surprised they showed her body, but I was actually sort of expecting Francis McDormand to go down the stairs in front of me by the time we got there. I have to say, and I feel bad saying this because I like Francis McDormand a great deal, but Lady Macbeth is a particular favorite character of mine, and I cannot say that I think that hers is the best 
version of it that I've ever seen. Actually, I don't even know that that's her fault. I think she is a great performer. I think she makes some interesting choices in the role. I think the sort of sharp truncation of the play does her a disservice by not letting us see how she goes mad basically Mm -hmm. like for me it felt really quick that we went through oh my gosh clean the blood off these knives you dumb dumb we have to commit some more murders to oh no i've committed murders and i can't sleep and i'm scrubbing imaginary blood from my hands i don't feel like i don't believe that switch and it's not that i don't believe her acting of the out out damn spot sequence like the sleepwalking scene is great. I actually really love the that they use the framing of the servants watching it and made her kind of fourth wall breaking aware of them watching. But I don't know how we got there. Yeah, I am. Um, so and that and I love Lady Macbeth. I wrote this whole paper at one point about because I had a professor who was really into the theory that the reason Lady Macbeth is the way she is. Actually, another thing I love that they were so much older in this version because it really feels like they're like this is their last chance for anything like they've had a I like my professor's reading was very clearly like they've had a kid the kid died they've never successfully had another one and that's like change that's what's part of what's made her the way she is and so I have a great deal of sympathy for this character and I'm I'm really ready to believe in her going crazy but they just did not it didn't get there for me um well, McDermott first of all um she's Cohen's wife for those who don't know um, I did not know that you didn't know that? No. Oh, um. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. They're they're married. This, this, and um. She's. Uh, she's I mean, I'm not against for- nepotism. I think she did a great job with uh, the whole first half of it. I thought her her Lady Macbeth was really interesting because they really leaned into the fact that she really loved him and that they were partners, as opposed to she was using him for her own ends, which you see a lot of adaptations of the story do. Um. So she's a co-producer on this film. Um, because uh, they basically did this as a couple. Um, the thing that I, the interview I read, which I thought was extremely striking, was that A, she said she was glad that she'd never played Lady Macbeth up until now, and that she'd waited to play the, the role so much later in life than most people do. Um, the other thing she said is, um, when, when, when Denzel showed up, um, for rehearsal, one of the first things he asked her is, what's our backstory? What's what? Wh- who are we to each other? What was how did we get married? Where where did our families come from, etc.? And she she hadn't really thought about it. And she on impulse spat out Romeo and Juliet. I thought except that. instead of like they died in the tomb, they ran they uh, they ran away together. And that this is no, I love that because I really do feel like you see that they are a legitimate equal partnership and and they're both in this together and they're both pushing each other and it's not one being led or manipulated by the other. Like, I loved that. I just really feel like I just really love the sleepwalking scene and I really feel like the build up to that let me down. Um, but I thought that that was a fascinating because most of the time, like when you see these Lady Macbeths, as you said, it's a lot of her using him. It's a loveless marriage. It's, you know, she she's frustrated. She's a no, woman ever who- since ever since I had that professor who was like, no, she's just really sad. I was like, like, cause she's had this unimaginable loss and she hasn't been able to replace it with anything. And I uh, like that just has stuck with me for years. 
Um, I I feel like this version does sort of lean into that version that that too because it's not just it it because part of what upsets them so much isn't that that they won't stay king and queen. It's that. It's, it's that, that someone else's kids will be king. Yes, because that basically says you're never going to sire. You're never like going you to... have no legacy. Yeah, and 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 how much that that really upsets them in a kind of a weird way because no, you don't have kids. Of course, you don't have kids, and you're too old to have kids. So why are you acting like you're gonna like somehow magically get an heir? Right. Like it, 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 it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense logically, but it does make sense emotionally. If you think mm-hmm. of them as someone who either. This is, went... I mean, to, the, to them, this is their last chance. Yeah. Like it's their last chance to do something that mattered. Yeah. But I, I really love the idea of Macbeth is basically like a sequel to Romeo and Juliet where they don't die. <laughs> I do, too. <laughs> it's, that's, that's a nice like uh, bit of symmetry. Yeah to me that I enjoy because I've always really liked I've always really liked them I've never been really partial to the quite frankly very misogynist manipulative manipulative harpy take on Lady Macbeth I think that's really which um, was the version we did in my school when I was in when well I was, it's a version a lot of people did yeah, because it's, it's a version it, a lot of people do it, it's a very obvious it's a very obvious way of of thinking of it um, so yeah, and I, it also as an actress, you know, it gives you a very clear in, yes, like to how how to do this role. Like you can be big and over the top, and how, at least until very recently, like how few roles for women allowed you to do that. So I get it. I don't agree with it, but I get it. Um, so you were uh, you were talking a little bit about um the black and whiteness of the of the visuals the thing that also struck me about the visuals is the costumes and how like very like like the leather stitching and like they how- looked very plush but also very plain which yeah. i think was interesting um and because the castle is so minimalist and because i sort of you know i very much you know, attribute. I, I think of minimalism as like a 21st century thing. That to me felt very, you know, modern. You know, the fact that we had a a a color conscious casting felt very modern. And then they're wearing stuff that is actually looks like it just wandered out from like Renfair, <laughs> <laughs> and like and like a really expensive Renfair. To be clear, like it was. I I I thought that was I. I was distracted by that every time, like, you got a close-up of the clothes. And you got close-ups a lot. I wasn't... Well, you, yes. pay, you pay you pay a lot more attention to that than I do. I only had that reaction in one scene, which was where Lady Macbeth had a dress on that was a very loud pattern. And I was like, oh, that's weird. I loved her hair. If those were wigs, they worked for me, by the way. just just, just to follow on my whole wig hating thing i just wanted to like loved the hair in this (laughs) oh yeah i think i think on the whole i really liked it though more than i expected to because i don't know i I, maybe it was just the like super limited theatrical release only streaming on apple tv plus of it all that i felt like it was gonna be like very pretentious also because it's black and white and normally like when people make things in black and white nowadays it's because they're trying to be very pretentious but I d- it didn't come across like that in the watching of it. Um, for me, the and for the record, I watched it on my TV at home, so you can still enjoy it, not in the Omicron infested theaters. Um, I uh, the first trailer I saw 
I was like, no, this, this is my jam. And like, oh, the, like I, cause I've tried to, I've only seen one of the trailers. I don't know if they did more than one, but there was just like a very heavy, like the, again, the sound design is crazy. Yeah, they did. I think there were two trailers, but the first one I saw, I don't remember if it was the first or the second one. I just saw it. I was like, oh, this is my jam. And my, and you know, my mom was like, well, what, what movie should we see for the holidays? And I was like, we'll get tickets to this. I will take you to this end of list. <laughs> right. And she was like, oh, oh, yes, you will. <laughs> um, Yeah, I've seen one movie in the past like six months and it is. Uh... Well, no, I guess I've seen two. I did see the Bond movie, although I've <laughs> forgotten it instantaneously. So clearly that <laughs> leave a big mark. But it was the Spider-Man movie. Um, not oh, Shakespearean. I was going to say, like, I actually have not seen the, the No Time to Die, though I do know the big spoiler at the end. Um, I did, on the other hand, see Spider-Man in the theaters, and it was the most crowded theater I have been in physically. In- yeah, same. Yeah. I was very anxious, actually. <laughs> but I mean, to, to actually bring it back to our theoretical topic, I do miss, um, I feel like a lot of movies like the tragedy of Macbeth, like we just don't make them for theatrical release anymore. I'm trying to remember when I was, when I was younger in the dark ages, uh, you know, like merchant and ivory was a thing you had, like Ed, I'm from Richmond and we had like the theater that showed the indie movies and you would go there to see like the Shakespeare adaptations or, or what, I mean, I'm sure Shakespeare in love probably played there too. Cause that wasn't a mainstream hit out of the gate either, but like, we don't really have that now. I'm going to date myself time and place right this minute. In in 1996, we all packed ourselves up over at T.C. Williams and we went over next door to the WETA building to Sherlington Theater and bought tickets en masse to Romeo and Juliet. Oh, I was um, I was a first year at UVA and four or five of my friends did the exact same thing. Uh, I'm so good. But I feel like that's at least, like, that's still Boz Lerman. So I don't know if that would have still been as, like, indie, but probably. No, it was. Like, we couldn't go to a regular theater and see it. Like, we couldn't go to the AMC. Like, we had to take ourselves over to Sherlington to the... Yeah, because that used to be the indie theater. Yeah, like... And weirdly enough, that's where I saw Spider-Man. So (laughs) (laughs) how the times have changed. But I feel like we don't really have that kind of niche theatrical experience that often anymore because if it's not a blockbuster people don't want to pay to see it which i mean movie theater, movie theater tickets are ridiculously expensive so i totally understand it but i'm also sad well i mean the hollowing out of movie theaters but and and these sort of like mid-road things and mid-road movies like rom-coms and like you know b-listed b-list action films you know the, the power the power of the dog would have been at that theater mm-hmm. but, uh, the, the olivia coleman movie that's on netflix right now lost daughter um which by the way is like freaking I haven't, fantastic. I haven't watched that yet but freaking i feel like fantastic I'd, um, like, I but you know, never- like that's the kind of that's the kind of thing that would have been in theaters like that, and and so with this and the the pandemic really has sort of sped up the hollowing out of this and pushing these things to streaming. And when you hear like critics sort of having these sort of hand wringing hysterics over, um, the the loss of um the loss of of art art of artistic cinema in 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 film houses and whatnot what they are talking about really is these sorts of things going to streaming because that's where the audiences are right now i mean we're home and for me the thing is not so much whether it's in the theater or on streaming i'll watch it either way like i said i watched i watched 
a screener of this at home on my TV. And I don't, I don't know that for stuff like this, it's necessarily like a must have to see it in a theater. Although I'm sure it was nice. Like I said, I saw Kenneth Branagh's ham all four hours of it in a regular movie theater before there were recliners. So my back hurt, (laughs) but like, I'm just afraid they won't get made. Do you know what I mean? Well, see, that's the thing is that streamer. The the thing is, is that's why something like Apple TV Plus getting into the streaming game is actually a boon in some ways, though it has many drawbacks and the streaming wars will have drawbacks. The The consolidation of the, the, ver- the, the vertical integration and the consolidation of production studios is terrible in general, just because monopolies are terrible. Because I look at Netflix and they just greenlit Netflix just greenlit two more of those terrible it's not burn notice because burn notice is great red notice whatever they've just greenlit two more of them stop hate watching things people um like but like that's the that's the kind of thing that i'm thinking i'm i'm afraid people will want to make more of instead of stuff like this which is very much not that but the thing is apple tv plus has real like it, it want apple tv plus really wants to win an oscar okay and honestly so does netflix they want Best Picture Oscars because they want to show that they, they they want that acceptance from the highest standards. And so they are, I mean, if you're pushing $13 billion a year into content, yeah, you're going to make a couple of red notices. You're going to make some Bridgertons. You're going to make some Too Hot to Handles and some Circles. Hey. Um, no, I mean, you are. I mean, this is what this is what the money is. But the money is also going to go to the power of the dog. The money is also going to go to these high end like Apple TV Plus for all that, you know, it's not very British. It does really sort of trend high end. It tries really hard. It doesn't it doesn't have a lot of schlock on there the way that Netflix has really sort of gone super schlock. Like it just doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's partly because it knows that it, it, it sort of has to be a little bit more, I don't know, highbrow to try to attract the, the sort of imagined audience. I was thinking more like prestige because like Coda's on Apple TV Plus and Coda mm. was beautiful. Yes. But that's the sort of thing that it, it that's the sort of movie that it's more likely to invest in. And because, I mean, Apple has so much money, it can. <laughs> right. And I mean, you know, for all that for all that I was saying, Netflix has like, oh, for God's sake, 13 billion dollars a year in content. I mean, that is the that 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 that's that that dwarfs the GDP of a lot of small countries. That's I mean, true. <sighs> I mean, I'm not saying everything has to be a Shakespeare adaptation, but like I would like a few more Shakespeare adaptations and a few less of that Red Notice movie. I, I what what I really want is is accessible Shakespeare. Um, one of the things I liked about Macbeth is that it felt like it was both accessible and highbrow. Hmm, tell me more. Because I actually thought, I actually think you can, and I don't know if that's like a, I don't know if this is just a virtue of casting and they just had really good actors in this, but I think there is a way that you perform Shakespeare where iambic pentameter really does just sound like speech. It doesn't sound like they're acting Shakespeare. No. They didn't change the dialogue for this. Um, The thing is, is that like, first of all, it's very easy to understand. It's very accessible in that the plot the plot makes sense to people. It's very easy to follow, but it also felt very highbrow from the visuals, from the sound design, from the, from the caliber of actor in it. You know, one of the things, I, you know, I brought up Romeo and Juliet from 1996. That to me is sort of the gold standard of accessibility. 
in Shakespeare. Like, there was nobody who didn't understand Claire Danes and Leonardo DiCaprio, right? Like, you just, even if you didn't understand what you said, you understood them. Still a banging soundtrack to this day. <sighs> yep. Honestly, one of the greatest film Hold soundtracks up. ever made. Um, <laughs> Boslerman Bas- soundtrack from, like, Strictly Ballroom, straight Ooh, on Strictly through. Ballroom, that's another one. He's got some good, he's got good taste. Yeah. Um, like those, they, those, those, those still bang like 30 years later. But the thing is, is that like, I want, I want Shakespeare that isn't pretentious as much as say, I love, I don't know, um, David Tennant or Tom Hiddleston or, um, any of those, you know, Benedict Cumberbatch. There's a level where when they do Shakespeare, they do Shakespeare. Mm, Yeah. And I just, no. Okay. That's not how you get people to watch Shakespeare. Okay, like maybe people will watch it because I don't know Loki's hot, but also they shouldn't <laughs> just watch. They shouldn't just watch it because Loki's hot. They should watch it because it's a good story and it's well done, right? And that and that and that that, that I I find that frustrating. And I get why that happens. I get why actors are like that. I get why 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 theater people are like that. For God's sakes, I was one. Um, but also. I think it's just so important that that we make it so that I mean Shakespeare has stood the test of time. It's gone four hundred plus years. Like we should be able to make it so that everybody can still that everybody gets it. Okay, because clearly you can if you can last this long. Um, I I will say that uh, not all Shakespeare has to be particularly highbrow either greg and i saw a musical it's called something rotten on broadway a few years ago which is basically like a musical about about uh, a guy writing a writing a musical called omelet because he uh doesn't like bill shakespeare who is like kind of a snot and i if I'm recalling correctly, the idea for Hamlet comes from Omelette, and there are a whole lot of songs about Shakespeare and musical theater, and it's really, it's fun. I mean, Shakespeare is, I think, one of the best things about Shakespeare is how enduring a cultural touchstone it is, and you can get things from songs about omelets to, you know, Denzel Washington doing Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, and I am for anything... And Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Love Tom Stoppard, although Alcadia is better. But, um, and yeah, and I'm saying that about play about math, believe that or not. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I pray anything that makes people more familiar with the material that opens it up to audiences to see how good it is and how it's not just something that you had to read in school at one time a million years ago, that it's really like deep and beautiful and meaningful and emotionally affecting and i love shakespeare i was gonna be a shakespearean before i was medievalist that does not surprise me i didn't make a lot of good choices in school (laughs) (laughs) says the woman who uh, listen i'm the one with the theater degree here okay (laughs) yes but i was gonna get an english degree in shakespeare um um um, i think uh i think that is our our love letter to the bard today uh the Tragedy of Macbeth, now streaming on Apple TV+. Plus. If you have bought an iProduct in the past, anytime recently, you probably have it. So you should go check it out. Yeah, if, if, if literally it is free to anyone who has bought an, uh, an iProduct in the last year. So if you bought an iProduct from January 2021 onward, you can just go and log in and get it. And it's there. And while you're there, watch Ted Lasso and Dickinson. <laughs> nice segue. Um, speaking of segues, tell the people... 
where they can find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me at Annie Bundle on Twitter. You can find me at Miss Annie Bundle on Facebook. Um, you can find pictures of my extremely fuzzy, very badly behaved cats uh, at Annie Bundle on Instagram. I am a staff writer at Elite Daily and the associate editor here at Televisions, and I also freelance around the web. Uh, currently, I am screaming about Yellow Jackets to anybody and anyone who will listen. Um, I also wrote about Peacemaker, so uh, you can look for that too. Basically, if you just want to know what I wrote this week, um, just go to my Twitter and follow me there because I retweet all my bylines. Okay, thanks. Huzzah! Um, yeah, I'm Lacey. Uh, that is Lacey MB on Twitter. I almost said my handle wrong, didn't do it. It's L-A-C-Y-M-B. And I also write a lot here at Televisions and around the entertainment web. I too am hollering about yellow jackets a lot these days. It's really good. Uh, but I always tweet my bylines, so come and be my friend for all of that business. If you just want the cat pictures, the boys are on Instagram at Baker and Hammer. If you don't want any of that and only want the British content, the site and the pod are on social media. We are at Telly underscore visions on Twitter, televisions blog, all one word and youtube.com slash W E T A P B S. Or you can listen to this podcast as of like last week magic i don't know how that happened we have a great team here who does technical things but it looks awesome um it's an easier way for us to get our thoughts to you tell your friends subscribe like us please don't leave us weird comments about well actualing us about anything because it's not fun um yeah we are a product of weta and if you like what we do you can visit us at televisions.org and click on the donate button up top to help us keep doing it and support public media at the same time you may also get access to weta passport well which is pbs passport whoops um <laughs> i work here and even sometimes i get the naming of things wrong to pbs passport where you can have early access to the new seasons of all creatures great and small and vienna blood that is our show for this week. It is pitch black outside because winter is here. I don't like it. it makes me sad. I don't like it. I don't like it. Chris Evans. Um, take care of yourselves out there, people. Maybe invest in a higher quality mask if you're going to be doing a lot of things indoors. Buy some COVID tests. Stay six feet apart. Be nice to your neighbors. Be nice to yourselves. It's rough out there. It's year three. I don't really like this trilogy. I would like to move on to a different one. But uh, we are doing our best to at least be funny and entertaining through it. So we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.